going to tell you is that a lot of the reason why I just love to talk to you and everything, because when we get in our conversations, I think I start realizing that you and I share a soul on this one little thing that has become Kindred a mantra yes. <laughs> yes. Out, of our, out of my life, mm-hmm. is that I've always been obsessed with words. Even mm-hmm. though as a kid, I started reading super late. Once I started realizing that words told a story, mm-hmm. my mom said, I looked at her one day and I said, ah, the words tell a story. And then all of a sudden, little hieroglyphics, like they mean something. (laughs) Right? It's like, we went to ancient Egypt and it was really fascinating. Yeah. (laughs) No, and then all of a sudden, it's like, I remember that moment that all of the words on this billboard all of a sudden Mm -hmm. went like this and it finally made sense to me. Besides that, I hated reading before. (laughs) And my grandfather really taught me that love for story too. And yeah, so the only thing I love more than words themselves is the stories that they tell. And I think that that you're so much that way too. Mm -hmm. Um, How would you say that plays out in your world though? Well, because I love the idea of how people themselves are like books. Like you have, you are like a whole novel of of yourself and so many different, like the seasons of life would be the chapters in your book. Mm -hmm. And, and so I just love it, love that aspect of how we could just talk for hours and hours and hours. And there's so much to learn Mm -hmm. about the preface, the foreword, you know, and then the individual chapters of your life and, and just understanding that like the, just understanding people of like the chapter that I walk into is not your entire story. Like there's so much more, there's so much iceberg underneath just the tip. And so just understanding that about how humans are just innately deep and complex and multifaceted. And so just taking that as like a humbling thing of like, there's just so much to learn about people. And, Mm -hmm. And then if you can't relate to someone, you probably haven't like talked to them enough. You haven't gone deep with them enough because there's just so much under the surface where we all are like struggling with the same things, with hopes and dreams and right. just trying to figure out this thing called life. And there's just mm-hmm. so much struggle and learning there going on of how we all have this story, this these right. deeper set aspects of it. And so I just love that um, analogy, that illustration of just how people are just so much more than they can seem on the face cover of things. Right. And we kind of want to throw around that pithy phrase, the Mm -hmm. don't judge a book by its Mm -hmm. cover. I mean, there's a lot that can be said about a book because of its cover. That's true. So we're not ignoring that the cover Mm -hmm. of somebody is important. Yes. But at the same time, pretty ugly covers can have a really deep, rich um, 15th chapter. Because like going with like our different strengths and weaknesses, some people are really good at illustrations and their covers look really good and their makeup is like really nice. For example, over here. But I, graphic design illustration is not my thing. I mean, literally, like I'm not a drawer. (laughs) And second of all, I don't like wearing makeup, but I'm a writer and I love writing. And so while my- Back to our love of words. Exactly, exactly. So my chapters may be well written, but you wouldn't know that based on my deadpan face or, you know, (laughs) know, whatever type of thing. It's like Les Miserables. We have one whole like chapter just describing one object (laughs) or whatever the accusation is. I love Les so much, yeah. (laughs) But I think that, like you said, there's so much to be said for a way of living Mm -hmm. that doesn't uh, think that you have really understood a story because you've read it one time. I Mm. mean, C.S. Lewis wrote a pretty scathing essay himself about how you're not a true reader in the truest sense if you haven't read anything more than twice. Mm -hmm. That was, um, I think, 
I know this is a spiritual term, but it was convicting to me in yes. a way yeah. as a claiming to be a reader. Like, yeah. do I really come at people that way? Because mm-hmm. I've heard the story once. I think I understand. Yeah, it's not now true. you're irritating me because I've heard the yeah. story more than once. But what if there's something more on mm-hmm. a detail level that I could really pick up on? Yeah. That's the thing uh, about the Bible, too, about how we, like, people have spent their entire lives and we can spend our entire lives and we will never understand all of the implications that can come out of scripture, which is why it's so self-convicting and sad yeah. on my personal part where I feel like, like, oh, I have to read my Bible today and I don't know where to go because it's just like I've heard these stories so many times. Right. But like, but then when you get into it and you start annotating it and you start digging into it and you start reading it, you're like, oh my goodness, there is so much here. Yes. And so that's where, you know, what C.S. Lewis was saying is like the best books, the most well-written books can be read again and again and again, yes. like as children and then like again and as adults and you yes. can get like a whole, because every season, every, like the more life you live, you're going to see that story, that book, mm-hmm. whatever, life, you're going to see it through a different lens with a different yeah. perspective and bring more to it than you could when before. Right. I think it's really actually shows arrogance to mm. treat people that way. Yeah. That I think I understand you just because, yeah. like you said, you've read the preface or whatever. And like you said, with the scriptures, I, I brought my Bible because <laughs> I love it. And there's a certain mm-hmm. passage that I think we're going to talk about a little bit later because yeah. of how it factors into my story yeah. and just how I started realizing that my story isn't really mine. It's God's story. Mm-hmm. I love that little thing that it's his story, mm-hmm. right? History. And I am, yeah. what is your little thing? Like the things of our life are just one drop of HTO. Oh, where you can we... feel like if you're going through a hard time, it can yes. feel like an entire hurricane inside of your head mm-hmm. when really that hurricane that's so overwhelming to us is not even a molecule of H2O in God's palm. Yes, yeah. and what's amazing is that I may be that insignificant on one scale, mm-hmm. but as the psalmist says, it is amazing that the thoughts of God towards us are more than can be counted, more mm. than the sand of the sands on the shore yeah. and of the entire world and more than the stars in the sky. Those are his thoughts towards us. And so what is man that you would think of him, God? And so what is funny is that this passage ended up looking like that, like you read it over and over and over again, because look, it's like, <laughs> totally invented in my Bible, but that's partially because I was teaching some women through this passage. But what you were saying about reading it over and over again is that I had read this before and I had read another passage in um, Hebrews 11. That's super famous, obviously, too. But just at a time in my life where that totally entered into my story and realizing that God's story here in his word is speaks to my story because this is my story. My story hooks into his story and his way of talking about life is the only thing that really made my life make sense. And so like what I fell in love with this book is just realizing that it's not just like you said, not just verses where you go, Oh, I've heard that before. Mm -hmm. It's really, it's alive. And it, it was the only thing that could breathe real abundant life back into my world where I felt like a part of me had died and it could never be resurrected. And that's one of the blessings of going through trials is that Mm -hmm. Psalms is no longer this really emotional book of this guy Mm -hmm. using really strong metaphors. Like suddenly you feel that and Mm -hmm. it cuts you where like Christian songs can sound really cheesy when you hear them in the day to day. But when you are struggling, like song, like typical worship songs, that can just be like, that's not maybe not the well 
produced most most well-produced song but then when I was going through a season where I was struggling like yeah. those songs that seem really cheesy in the day-to-day -day were cutting me to the core and I was crying to them like songs right. that were supposed to be happy and energetic were just right. like my goodness the truths embedded into this I'm feeling them in the deepest part of my psyche mm -hmm. and the same thing with scripture too is one of the blessings of going through trials is that it's suddenly so much more relatable and you understand it and see it in a light that you could never could before Exactly. I mean, what is the savior if we're not lost? Mm -hmm. We don't need a great physician if we're not broken or sick. Uh, he's the great shepherd because we're wanderers, you know, and it's that you don't really understand the light until you've really, really been in the darkness. And that's where I was at this point where I was in a situation where I had to teach women the scripture. So I had to dig in deep and really ask myself the question, like you said, those little pithy truths. For example, Jesus loves me. That is not kid stuff. The fact that Jesus, the God of the universe, would love me, would love you, is... You know my frame, you know my flesh, yes. you know my bend, and you call me loved? Right, when the, everybody yeah. else in the world wants to look at me and go, oh, she's an angry person, she's broken, she's such a mess, she's off the deep end, she's hopeless, or whatever other things of self-loathing I would want to attach to myself that nobody would ever want you because everywhere that you go, you're just poison, mm. or, you know, all those horrible things that the devil really wants to use those lies to destroy us. The fact, then, that Jesus enters into my darkness and that even pinprick of light that says Jesus loves you in a new way just made me go can that really be true and i felt like yeah. when i came to this scripture in hebrews 11 that god like faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen and i always ask myself like what is faith because i looked at people with other stories in the scriptures that ended up in 11th hour moments like it is the darkest part of their story. And we know the ending a lot of times. So we just go, oh, and we flip through when like literally somebody's life is at stake, you know? Yeah. We go, oh, Esther is gonna win in the end anyways, so don't worry about it. But like for them, it was like for me, that 11th hour moment. But what was amazing to me is thinking about the Apostle Paul when he was in the jail with Silas. And he's literally, it says the 11th hour, but they were singing. And that really caught my attention in a way it had never caught my attention before, like you were saying, because I was in an 11th hour, but I was not singing. And so I started going, okay, what did Paul have that I do not have? What was it? And like, as I struggle with this question, like the voice of the Lord just came to me and he was like, he had faith. And I was like, but what is faith? And then that scripture came to mind. I was like, substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. And I'm like, what does that even mean? And what are the things not seen, the things hoped for? And I think that a little while later in the passage, it's explained that the person that would please God has to believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of those that seek him. And to me, that unlocked faith. That faith is a stubborn belief stubborn i mean like you're not gonna let it go like a martyr going to the stake amount of stubborn clinging to these truths the simple truth that god is who he says he is that everything in this book about who god says he is is true 
He is the good shepherd. He is good. He is faithful. He is all powerful. He is comfort. He's caring. Everything he says he is. And that he's a warder of those that seek him. That when we come to him, he doesn't cast us out. And as we follow him, he really does, like with lambs, bring us into the fold of his garment and lead us along. He he doesn't put out the the smoking wick of a candle. He doesn't break the fragile reed. He's gentle of heart and he invites us to come to be released of our burdens. And that's who he is. And that really unlocked to me, that's what Paul had in that dungeon, is that he had that stubborn belief that God is and he's a rewarder of those that seek him. So he could swim to the bottom of life and find a concrete bottom. But then in a miracle, faith pushed through the concrete bottom to end up in a beautiful, expansive garden of blessing because that's what God is up to in our world. So anyways, that was pretty yeah. long. But just <laughs> no, this idea yeah. really struck me, like what you're saying, mm-hmm. that simple truths in our darkest moments of life, then the light is so wonderful because the darkness has been so deep. Yeah. And that's where it's like, you don't want bad things. You don't want trials. You don't want pain. You don't want heartbreak. Mm -hmm. But in a flip side of it, it's such a beautiful place to be because things that you would just gloss over in your typical Sunday school lesson become lifelines to you. And they are all you have to hold on to. And you are just grasping at them and holding on to them and singing them because my pastor calls it a life aligned moment where like the whole frivolous day-to-day busyness of life falls away or you know if you're going through a heartbreak it doesn't matter anymore you don't care anymore because all you can feel is this pain and that pain if responded to correctly just has you holding on to like I have to hold on to the fact that God is good I have to hold on to the fact that God loves me that he's in control because that is the only foundation I have right now that is the only thing that makes sense and that's that's one thing that I just preach all the time is like if you're going through a hard season you have to know there is purpose in this that God has a plan for this and you have to like you may not believe that in your heart and it may just be rote memory that you're just repeating to yourself but you have to preach that to yourself every day because that is the faith that is the hope that's the only thing that's going to get you through by the grace of God of just being like there is a place and time and purpose for this and you know what what Jesus says about like you don't understand what I'm doing now but one day you will one yes. day you will understand and so just holding out for like there is this one little ribbon here and I do not understand how it's woven into the rest of the tapestry of life but I know it is yeah. and God may never tell me that but I'm but if he doesn't and if he does I I know that it does have a purpose I know that me going through this is going to help develop my character which is going to help me pour into somebody else pour into somebody else pour into somebody else and Mm -hmm. it's going to impact others for their good and ultimately for God's glory because you know Mm -hmm. we weren't given another day in this life because we need it but because somebody else needs us And so holding on to that about like, yes, this place in this 11th hour and this darkness seems so hopeless and so stuck and like it's not going anywhere. And that 11th hour could be one night out of the week where you're just feeling a slump and you're out of it. Or that 11th hour could be six months, two years, a decade. It could be however long or however short God leads you through it. But just holding on to the fact of like, okay, you don't feel good now and you might not feel good tomorrow. But one day you're going to get on the other side of this and you're going to see, Lord willing, if God reveals that to you, how it is part of this bigger plan. And even if he doesn't reveal that to you, 
you will know one day in heaven of just how yes. this is a part of a bigger story. It's not just about you. It's never about us. Not about me. It's not about you. It's not about us. It is about how we were placed on this earth to be broken clay pots to hold God's glory, bent arrows to point back to him, cracked mirrors to reflect his glory. I mean, just even that in itself is something to marvel at about how God can take us messed up, depraved sinners, right. broken, bent sticks and make straight lines with them. Like that is something to praise about. We are all a miracle of his mm -hmm. grace. We're oh, all yes. a story that he's writing that is a miracle by itself. And something really, a couple of things really popped out to me yeah. when you were talking that the words, uh, we talked about how words tell stories and the words of this book of the Bible, they aren't just like words by themselves. They really are telling the story of one person, of Jesus Christ and who he is in the stories of our lives. And that is when I pushed through, I felt like I kind of pushed through the secret door of a wall into a different place where I realized that you know, when people talk about Jesus being your friend and going through these experiences where you share faithfulness with him and he is faithful to you personally and all this kind of thing, you gain on those experiences and you have those Ebenezers of life that you point back and Ebenezer means here the Lord provided. And you have those moments with him. And I think that's amazing about the scriptures is reading it in such a way that you're constantly asking Okay, where is Jesus in this? Because mm -hmm. realizing that the entire, every word of this scripture is pointing back to him. Exactly. It's a story about him. Yeah. And who he is to us. And I think when you were talking about 11th hour moments too, a lot of times in our 11th hour, we get so tunnel vision. Mm -hmm. You know, we are in the dark tunnel underneath this ocean of sorrow or grief and torment that we just want to go deeper and deeper and deeper and we can't help it. When we're tunnel vision like that, we lose fact and sight of the of the reality that this is this is a tunnel. It's it's not a location. It's not it's a momentary end. and light affliction. Yes, as Second Corinthians chapter four says, we don't therefore we don't give up, which we'll talk more about like why the therefore is there. But therefore, we don't give up, even though our outer person is being destroyed. Our inner person is renewed being renewed day by day. day by day. For our momentary light affliction produces in us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. And I'm like, Paul, how many more adjectives do you need? <laughs> He's literally yes. bursting over mm -hmm. with this. I think he liked words, too. <laughs> He's our... Yes, he shares a soul with the love for words. Uh, but... It's that absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory that's being worked in us. And sometimes we think that, okay, Paul, what's your deal saying that my affliction is this momentary light affliction? Okay. It doesn't feel momentary. No. It does not feel light. No, like, it's like, crushing me. Excuse you. Yes. That's rude. You yeah. know, in our little way of yeah. talking. But from God's perspective, in comparison in with the, the legacy glory, and history of the world. It's momentary. Yeah. Right? Yeah, because yeah. if you could see the glory, if you could see the bigger picture, you'd be so over how light and momentary this is. You could see and that's wild to yeah. me because I'm like, okay, if he can say that, there's something I need to lay aside my arrogance about my pain, mm -hmm. to be honest. Yeah. And say, okay, what are you seeing, God? What are you seeing, Paul? 
here in scripture that I'm missing. And that's when I came to faith. And then the other thing I came to was how we were saying that the tunnel is not like an end destination. It's mm -hmm. a path through. What's the point of a tunnel? It's going somewhere. You know? <laughs> I love that. Let's get basic definitions right now. <laughs> it's like, the tunnel is going through. A to B, yeah. you go out of the tunnel. Uh, but our I stories are so much like that. You get to the mm -hmm. 15th chapter, right? And it's mm -hmm. this cliffhanger of 11th hour drama. And wouldn't it be stupid? Like we go, oh, he dies. And we close the book. I mean, it's like, yeah. well, if you just keep reading the 16th chapter, I'm sure you'd really like what happens next. I mean, the same thing happens mm -hmm. in scripture. If we took just the story of Hagar, you know, Sarah's slave. She was so abused by Abraham and Sarah. I mean, like, what, right? that she ends up on the backside of nowhere with her newly born son saying, God, just like either come to me or kill me or something because I don't know what to do. But we find out that God is the one who sees me, right? And that truth wouldn't have come about if we just stopped. If we stopped reading, right? Yeah. Or Esther, her entire people, like her parents are dead. She's adopted by this guy, but then it gets stolen by the king and stuck in a harem somewhere. Like this story is great, right? <laughs> Like, that's very G. <laughs> the Bible is so PG. This definitely R. This definitely R. Right. And um, so it's just this horrible. And then on top of it, then her entire people are slated to be murdered. We close the book at the 11th hour? No, because we found out that God is the one that rescues his people through faithful servants that are willing to have courage and trust and believe that the right thing is more important even than our own lives. And the same thing happens with Joseph and Moses. And I mean, Jesus, 11th hour, he gets killed. The mm -hmm. hero of the story dies. Yeah. And everybody is scattered to the wind. And the Jews wrote it off then too. They said, yeah. that's it. He's done. Dead. He's stuck in a tomb. Yeah. And then the disciples are cowering in an upper room somewhere going, what are we going to do? They're going to kill us. Jesus, it was all alive, blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden, if we closed the book, we wouldn't have the gospel. His death wouldn't mean anything if we closed the book there. Because the exactly. reason he died was because he saw everything that came out of that, that billions mm -hmm. upon billions of people now have an opportunity to have new life because yes! of that. Yes. And because he rose from the dead after that. <laughs> yes. Exactly. His yeah. resurrection mm -hmm. it proves that God was pleased and appeased. And so in our stories, the same way, if at our 11th hour moment, we decide to close the book, i.e. depression, escapism, even suicide. Yeah. What end, what 16th chapter is not written? Yeah. And that's kind of where I came to is if Paul and Silas in the jail had, we had closed the book there, we wouldn't have an earthquake and finding mm -hmm. out that God does that. Yeah. And God, you're robbing the potential, the opportunity, yeah. you're robbing the redemption. Yes. Yeah. You're taking away any potential for there to be a, not a happy ending, but a redemptive storyline for right. God to redeem the heartache. Right. And that's what he's about. And that is exactly what he's up to in our world. Because so many times we want to be angry at God, like somehow the suffering is God's fault. And that's where I came to. I, I was thinking, you know, in Second Corinthians 4, 2, it, it starts telling us that we need to have faith because through 
suffering comfort comes and I'm like so is God kicking me just to give me a chance for him to give me a hug like how does this work but this no, seems no, no, a little no. toxic right yeah. That, yeah, right and I was like that does not sound okay but that's not it is that mm -hmm. it is sin that's the problem sin has wrecked this world it's not God's fault it's human beings choosing to rebel against him and bringing in this fallen state where suffering and sickness and abuse and heartache and grief and sorrow come in that wasn't god's idea that's our idea because of sin and our wanting to go our own way and so hating sin not hating god i think was a really mm -hmm. important turn in my story too to realize that those 11th hour moments are god's way of reminding us that at the end of the story of the universe he wins mm. that suffering is not final death even itself is not final i know the plans you have for me don't finish at my grave exactly and i think that that was a big turning point for me too just understanding god's role in my suffering because he is literally on a war path for redemption yeah. at the end of the story he has in his just wrath conquered every enemy and given us an eternal place of perfection. Every tear dried away, every reward given, every judgment meted out. And we are there with him forever. And this is, these 11th hour moments are an opportunity for him to remind us that this is what he's up to. Yeah. He's on a war path for my good and his glory. And what's wonderful is that they're not different. They are always they're intertwined the same yeah. one does not ever come without the other yeah and i think that's really important too it's not like he puts us through good bad things just because he wants glory no 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 yeah he's redeeming the sinfulness of this world yeah to prove what he's been out for all along in his story yeah and it's that reminder of if life were happy and perfect and good and we just constantly lived on 80 degree clear blue sky okay. spring days and life was good by all human standards, we would never have that reminder that this world is not our home. This is a place that we are passing through mm -hmm. to be in exile, to be a testimony, to be an arrow to those around us, to point at heaven. Because that's mm -hmm. where, and we all know this at our core, that there is something more beyond this. And that ripples right. out in myriads of different ways with each of us. But that is that, but suffering, there's many while we don't want suffering, there's many good benefits to it. And one of those is that it's a reminder that this is not our home. And it's pointing out that like broken family is reminding us that there is unity with the father, that we're, that's, that's what we're longing for right. at the core. Um, you know, death is reminding us that this is not how God intended creation to be. Mm -hmm. I mean, example upon example of what all these different heartbreaks and struggles and trials that you can go through at the bottom of them, at the core of them, it's God's way, Lord willing, if we respond correctly mm -hmm. to it, of reminding us of those deeper scriptural truths about how there is more than this life. There is more right. than this storyline. And so no matter how dark it gets, no matter how hard and, and struggling it can get to you're reminding of this quote by Corey ten boom about how when you're on a train and you go through a dark tunnel you don't just jump off the train you sit still and you trust the conductor or you trust jesus mm -hmm. and you know okay this is a really dark tunnel and um i'm trusting god that you know the track keeps going and we're going to get to the other side of this tunnel eventually or um uh, Lynn Mel 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 Lynn manuel miranda's hamilton oh, where yeah. he says dying is easy young man living is harder the whole idea of throwing the towel in, of giving up, 
um, of, of like, this is hard, life is hard, and there's just so much darkness and heartache and struggles to it. But that's what makes it worth it. Like the, mm -hmm. the best things have the biggest prices. Mm -hmm. And the best thing is eternal life with Jesus. And that had the biggest price right. that Jesus himself paid for on the cross. And, right. and that's the ultimate example. But that carries out with our individual lives of the the, the couples, the strongest couples are the ones who go through hell and come out stronger type of thing. Um, if, if you want to maintain a healthy weight and be fit, you have to eat healthy. You have to exercise. You have to be active. It comes with a price that's uncomfortable. If you want to have a nice looking yard, you have to weed it and mow it and do all, like, all this landscaping. That's not fun on a hot day when you're just sweating and dirty and whatnot. But that ends up leading to a beautiful relationship, a beautiful marriage, a beautiful yard, and a body that you're healthy and active because you've taken care of yourself type of mm. thing and then having eternal life because God paid that biggest price and so when we get to these 11th hour moments you just have to hold on to the fact and you have to know this is not the end right and it's so worth it to keep reading and I think that what is so hard is that what I'm about to say, if you would have said that to me when I was in my pain, I would have hated you mm -hmm. because I felt oh, like yeah. everything was already my oh, yeah. fault, that I didn't want anybody adding to my load. But actually what this does is it takes the pen out of your hands. Like, you're not the one writing your story anyways. Stop dictating your life. Yeah. Yeah. And it's actually a comfort that... But you're not comforted unless you know the one holding the pen. Mm -hmm. And that's where I came to... It's not a comfort that he is and he's a rewarder of those that seek him if you don't know what he is really means, right? Yeah. If you don't know that he's eternally good and faithful and you really understand what that means, it's not going to be a comfort that he's the one holding the pen, right? Mm -hmm. So as I dug in deeper to like, what does that really mean to me and what does that mean for my scriptures, then I felt more and more comfortable to say to myself, Elise, you know what, if you don't trust God you don't know him well enough mm -hmm. because if you knew him well enough you if, would have no problem trusting him if you want the comforter if you want the comfort you got to know the comforter mm -hmm. if you want to be loved you have to know love himself yeah if you want trust you have to know the shepherd of whom you're trusting right and you have to really it's arrogant to say okay i'm gonna shut the book because the truth is is that my little book of life is not mine to open and shut at will. Mm -hmm. It's in his hands. It belongs yeah. to him because I'm bought with a price. I'm not my own. Yeah. And my entire purpose for being created is to be a worshiper yeah. of Jesus Christ. And this enables me to worship better because more and more of myself is emptied out and more and more of himself is poured in. And this is kind of what I came into uh, with having this whole idea of this kind of like other little phrase that came into me is my story for his glory. That in the times of life, when God makes us wait, I wrote this poem because, and I'll just finish the thought. It's when you make me wait, help me believe that you're never late because your glory is the purpose of my story. And just saying that to myself and claiming that over myself. And also I wrote this because I was 
thinking of Mary and Martha when Jesus shows up late to the grave of Lazarus. He could have come and he could have healed Lazarus on site. Lazarus would have never died. And Martha says it to him, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But then Jesus looks her in the face and goes, but Martha, don't you know that I'm the resurrection and the life and he that believes in me will never die. And Martha goes to him and says, well, yes, I believe that the last day he'll live. And then Jesus comes and does something. He turns death over and he comes and raises Lazarus out of the grave. And he says to the father, I'm praying not really because you always hear me and I always hear you, Father, but so that these people will know who I am and that you've sent me. And he calls Lazarus up out of the grave. Everybody's saying, don't roll back the stone because Lazarus has been dead for days. He stinks. I love in the King James, no, Lord, he stinketh. <laughs> you know, but it's so real. That's how we go. And But Jesus comes and he changes everything. And I was thinking of that story because a friend of mine, their dad got COVID and died and we've been praying and praying and praying for him and he died and it felt like Jesus never showed up but then what I started pondering is that he is still showing up and we're still figuring out all what that looks like and they are as they're sorrowing but that Jesus is showing up and that he's never late and that he is working in our stories this absolutely incomparable weight of glory that's worth sticking around